Hey, parent friends, this is Joanna with you today. Thank you so much for getting on this Parent Toolbox uh, journey with us this summer as we go through the book, The Life-Giving Parent by Clay and Sally Clarkson. I am thoroughly enjoying being with you in this way uh, through this podcast because not only is it a refresher for me and some others who are listening, but you know, we always can glean new things um, based on our experiences today, based on what our kids are going through today, and just looking to the Lord for um, how to parent His way. And that is what this podcast is all about. And so as we jump in to our next chapter, we are on chapter four, um, guarding your child's heart. And again, we are going through the book, The Life-Giving Parent by Clay and Sally Clarkson. Now, let me just go ahead and say right here that I realize there are a thousand other wonderful parent resources out there that we could look to. I just personally chose this one. It's been on my shelf for a while, and I wanted to revisit it personally this summer. And so as I was praying and thinking about what to do this summer um, in our kids ministry at our church, I really felt led to walk through this book once more, but also to do it in a way that whether or not you have the book in front of you, it would still be a blessing to you. And so let's jump into chapter four, Guarding Your Child's Heart. In the previous two episodes, we covered um, numbering our child's days, and then last time was nurturing our child's spirit. And today we are on Guarding Your Child's Heart. As you know, um, or may not know, but each chapter begins with a key verse. And so this chapter um, highlights Proverbs 4.23, which is guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. And that is the verse that this whole chapter will be based on. And so I love, that's one reason why I love this book is because they will point us back to scripture every single time. For the beginning of each point they make is always pointing back to what God says in his word. So let's get started. So let me read a few things here and then we can um, kind of talk about it. It says, if we have no ultimate goal, then we have no path forward. We are vulnerable to following the latest parenting expert or the newest formula. However, when biblical parenting ideals are our ultimate destination, we have a path to follow by faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So the principles of this book are some of the points along the, the path that will help us to keep us moving forward toward that goal. Now, I do want to stop and say that that there are many, many wonderful parenting books out there that are Christ-based, that are biblically based. And so we know that this is not going to be the only way. This is not the only formula or that it's a promise for success. But we can we they can help us to move us forward by faith um, toward being the kind of faithful and loving parent. Um, when we are on this parenting journey. So this is one wonderful resource to help us. And so that's why we are doing this book this summer. So they go into talking about Solomon 
in the Old Testament, and Solomon was the wisest man of all the East in Egypt during his time. He was a man with very great discernment and breadth of mind, which comes from 1 Kings 4.29. He was hardly the ideal model for a godly parent, but his wisdom and words as a father shine a light on how we should approach raising children. In the first nine chapters of Proverbs, Solomon admonishes his sons to follow the wisdom and instruction that they have learned from him and their mother. So in chapter four, he turns his attention, especially to the path of parenting, um, that we will walk with our children. So he starts out in Proverbs four. He's recalling his own youth and how his father, David, King David, had encouraged him to hold fast to his father's words, to keep his commandments, and above all, to acquire wisdom and understanding. David assured Solomon, do not forsake wisdom, and she will guard you. He uses that word, guard. Love her, and she will watch over you. Again, that watch over is another way of saying guard. Two times in chapter four, Solomon talks about providing a, quote, guard for a child's heart. He learned the concept from his father, and now he's passing it on as a father. So Solomon begins to address his own sons, um, wanting them to listen to his instruction and follow the way of wisdom. He assured them that choosing to walk on that path will be a guard of protection for them, but that they also need to guard the instruction that they have received. So there's a lot to Solomon and, and as and they go into a little more detail. And then it says what Solomon says next stands out as a pivotal truth at the heart of his advice to his son. So this is verse 23. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. What he instructs them to do for themselves as young men is what we also must do for our young children in order to guard their hearts. So here's an amplified paraphrase of this. So guard and watch over your heart, which is the inner person that is the real you. So guard your heart like a guard who stands diligently on a wall. Some might wonder if Solomon is referring to what comes out of the heart or what goes into it. But his word choice suggests the latter. After all, guards are placed on walls to keep threats out. But then he explains why that is important, because what comes into the heart will determine a person's course of life. What goes into a heart comes out in a life. So let good things in and good things will come out. Let bad things in and bad things can come out. Jesus affirms this truth also in Luke 6, 45. He says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. You know, that word treasury, it reminds me of um, the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And there's a part in that book that talks about making deposits um, in your child's bank account, in their emotional bank account. And by making deposits, you are then putting in good things that later they can draw from. But if you 
only make withdrawals, just like at a, a real bank, um, if you're only making withdrawals, you're going to be depleted. You're not going to have anything in there for when you need it. So this word treasury reminds me of that, that, that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. So by, by depositing those good things in your heart and who you are, you then have a treasury full of good things, right? So then when you need to, or when you start saying things or doing things, it, it's out of that, that overflow of that treasury that it comes out and not vice versa, um, as far as an evil person producing evil things from the treasury. So that's just food for thought. I thought that was a really good way to think about depositing and, and treasure. So our children need our protection um, in, in three major areas, it says, in relationships, in appetites, and in influences. So I want to start with relationships. So kids today, as we know, they have so many different kinds of relationships. Maybe kids in the neighborhood, kids at church, adults at church, teachers and other students at school, sports, if they're on a team or in, in an activity, maybe even online, you know, if they're gaming. Um, and, and all of these different relationships can seem overwhelming. To the parent. There are simply too many ways that someone can harm our children um, based on all the different uh, areas where our kids might have relationships, especially online, because as we know, that is a really dangerous um, area where kids can get sucked in um, and be harmed. Um, there are simply too many ways that a foolish adult can harm our children. Maybe it's inappropriate exposure to sex, undesirable words or ideas, and even physical danger. Um, for us not to vigorously exercise our role to protect their hearts, we are not doing what God wants us to do if we are not being intentional and and really proactive in guarding them from so much evil in our world. Um, so the first one is in relationships, that we as parents must guard relationships. We need to be proactive in who our child is hanging around, not, not only just, you know, the peers, their age kids, but also adults. Um, for us to be attentive to who their teachers are, who their coaches are, um, be, be dialoguing constantly with all the people that could potentially influence our children for good or for bad. So, so many times we hear later, you know, um, about something horrible that happened, um, maybe because they trusted and they, they just, you know, the parents trusted and didn't look into it in depth. And, and so for us as Christians and as parents, we must take that seriously. You know, just all the various relationships. Um, we are not at this point called to be our kids' best friends. Um, we are called to be their parents. We are called to be their guards. 
you know, to stand watch and to make sure that nothing is coming in and out that's going to harm them. Um, And not even just in the moment, but for their life, you know, that things that happen as a child can greatly influence them for the rest of their lives. So, so it is up to us to really be that guard for them in regard to relationships. The other, the second one is appetites. So when we hear the word appetite, naturally we think of a physical need, you know, for food, a personal desire for certain kinds of food, like meat, pies, cakes, cheese, bread. Um, so the, the quote, you are what you eat, um, suggests that the kind of foods our appetites cause us to put in our mouths will def- will some way define who we are. Um, you are what you eat. Appetite is given by God. So it's not a bad thing, but the way we control our appetites can affect our lives for either good or bad. So Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Paul suggested that positive spiritual appetites start in the mind. In Colossians 3, 2, it says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And then John warned about negative desires. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, children, as we know, just like us, have appetites, but with one big difference. They do not have the discipline and discernment at their young ages to control their appetites in a mature way. In the same way that parents naturally guard our children's physical appetites so that our children's bodies will be healthy. We as believing parents must also guard our children's spiritual appetites so that their hearts and spirits will be healthy. You know, we often forget that, don't we? Um, we, we concentrate so much on the physical and so many times we forget the spiritual So as parents, our best defense against appetites for things that will not feed our children the life of God is to train their appetites for the things that will. So in Paul's words in Philippians 4, 8, it says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So not all childhood appetites are neutral or innocent. Early appetites for worldly things might not lead into sin, but routinely indulging or ignoring or excusing unhealthy childhood appetites can create a pattern that becomes a problem as our children get older. So we really need to guard those appetites and keep those appetites at bay when our children are young, when they're trainable. So we can exercise for our children a mature discernment and self-denial that they don't yet possess. By preventing the negative, mediocre, and empty things of the world from capturing their appetites, we can make room for the positive, excellent, and life-giving things. You know, it's that concept of 
fast food versus like a sit down, you know, five course meal um, where you are you are getting all the different wonderful things and you're taking your time and it's beautiful experience or it's fast food just to to get that appetite you know um, suppressed and you know you get your fill really quick and so it's it's that kind of thinking um, you won't become an effective life-giving parent who both guards and trains your child's appetites unless we and we are talking about ourselves here if we um, we need to remember that we have to value these things. Not, not we don't want our kids to look at us and just see us talking about it, but that we're living it. We're living it out that we are truly valuing all the things that we just talked about. Our child, our children will acquire appetites for the life-giving things of God primarily because of what we value, not because of what we want them to value, but they, you know, we will be that, that example, that model that they will look to. So if we're just all talk, they're not going to listen much, but if we are really living it out, we are the model example to them in the home of this is what life is about. This is how you can live a full and meaningful and abundant life that God has called you to. So the third one, so the first was, um, let me go back. The first one was relationships. The second was appetites. And now we get to the third, which is influences. So it says, I want to name just a few of the sources of influence that can quietly shape your child's hearts, minds, or spirits. And this is on page 75. Personality popular culture, personal passions, education, physical appearance, mental issues, medical issues, fears, insecurities, birth order, disabilities, skills and abilities, gender and intellect. These kinds of influences are not by their nature bad. They are neutral on their own. However, any influence or some aspect of it can potentially develop into a source of negative thoughts and attitudes. And it is from those that we need to protect our children's hearts. So the reason that we need to be aware of what is influencing our children's hearts is because children are very influenceable. They do not have the maturity or discernment to understand or deal with every influence that comes into their lives. But we do as their parents. By the Holy Spirit within us, we can help our children make sense of what they are feeling or thinking and put into the context of biblical truth. We can help them trust God or we can trust God for them. We can also discern an influence that is creating an unhealthy attitude or belief. So it's simply another way to guard our children's hearts, to keep out the bad and let in the good. That is really, really good. Jesus declared himself to be the embodiment of the ancient but always present choice when he said, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, even the truth and the life. He called himself the path 
of life to God when he declared to the crowds of Jews at the Feast of Jerusalem. He said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So why is that important to know? Because we're guarding our children's hearts so they will they will find not just a better way of life, but the true way. And when I say way here, I mean the capital letter W, the way, Jesus, who is the life. So we are guarding their hearts, not just for some of our Jesus light to shine on them, but so they will walk with Jesus, who is the light. We are guarding their hearts, not just so they can live better, but so they will come to know and experience the life of God that is found only in Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He is the true life that we are giving to them. So in conclusion, wow, this is such a great, a great chapter with so many good thoughts guarding our child's hearts. And I think as we mentioned earlier, that it really begins with us. Are we guarding our own hearts? Are we guarding our minds, you know, and putting in the things that are helpful to us? Or are we squandering our time? And are we, you know, doing things and reading things and watching things that are not beneficial for us as Christians and as parents? So this is such a great um, thing because we are learning how to be better parents and what to do with our kids, but it's also really a self-evaluation of our own spiritual journeys. So I hope that you are um, asking yourself these questions as well. You know, am I doing this as an example, as a mom or a dad? And then what can I do to point my kid to the Lord and to give the life, which is Jesus, to my children and to show him or her Jesus, who is the only way to the Father. So God bless you today. And as you go about your week, I hope that you will be encouraged by this and you will dig into God's word and and read Proverbs. You know, someone had had said, I'd heard this a long time ago, how they will take one chapter of both Psalm and one chapter of Proverbs, and they would go through the month and read one chapter a day. And I know with Proverbs, there's 31 chapters, um, which tends to work out really well for most months. But it is so good to read Proverbs, to think about um, and pray about um, having more wisdom, that God would give you friends and God would give you um, influences in your own life that would point you to the Lord so that you can then be a great example to your children. Are we going to always get it perfect? No. Are we um, going to not work out of our spirit at times and instead work out of our flesh? Yes. But that is why we need Jesus. And that is why he came is to give us light, not only to point us on the right path and to provide the light as we go, but he is the light. God bless you today. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.